Lob it up to Rudy, put it down. Mitchell three. Yes! The rookie comes alive! Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Hashtag Jazz after a bit of a hiatus, I think about three weeks. Although we did warn you, so if you didn't see it coming, we did warn you in the last podcast that we wouldn't be uh, doing anything for about three weeks because, frankly, nothing happened for the Jazz in the last three weeks or so, relatively speaking. There are a few things that happened, but nothing world-breaking. Yeah, I saw the Jazz Bear driving around the other day. That that was about it. I didn't think it was worth it to do an episode on that, so I didn't hit you up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, now with, with the draft coming up, obviously that's been the main talk of everything, and uh, it's just the draft, because, I mean, especially once, like, the NBA Finals hit. When the NBA Finals hit, I turn, I tuned out, like, I really enjoyed the conference finals in both the West and the East. I like watching it. I watched mostly the Cavaliers Celtics series. Um, and I, th- I think I watched several of the Warriors um, uh, Rockets series. But yeah, once it was like Warriors Cavaliers again, I didn't watch a second of the finals. <laughs> I, I, I caught the, I caught the meme that was J.R. Smith's game one, uh, failure um and then i watched game three but that was about it yeah part of my not watching it had to do with work but even then i don't think i would have felt compelled to watch it maybe like if i had been home i might have turned on game one late and started watching it but like when i was at work i I, with my job right now I, i can pretty much check the scores whenever and you know i've nobody's like looking over my shoulder, making sure that I'm not doing anything I'm not supposed to. So I checked the scores, but I didn't think to check the score until like halfway through the third quarter. I, I just didn't care. But like, if well. it, but, but if it had been like the Jazz playing or maybe a, I felt maybe more compelling series, I would have been like on every five minutes looking at the score. Or maybe even yeah. like trying to listen to it on the radio or something like that. But I, I felt no motivation for the NBA Finals. Well, well, for one, it's the same damn teams, um, and two, there can't be anybody in any room that would think that the Cavs had a bleeding chance to win that series. Like, there was no chance. Yeah, I just like the the game one intrigued me because it was close and it looked like they had a chance. I didn't know about what happened until, like, way after. I just saw that it went to overtime. And, yeah, like, when you have people, like, there were articles saying, here's how you can still enjoy the NBA Finals. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) that's when you know it's bad. Like, the Super Bowl, people were obviously hyped for that. There was a big underdog, and it was an awesome game to begin with. And the NFL hasn't had a bad Super Bowl in, like, five years. And they've had, like, one in the last 20 years. But... The NBA Finals, they haven't had, they've had like what, one good series since 2010? And that was, the, that was the 2015 Finals, I think. The one where the Cavaliers won it. That was an awesome series. Since then, it's just been absolutely boring as crap. But, I guess enough yeah. about that. It would have been better in uh, Toronto not completely choked against 
uh, Cleveland, but to me, it would have been interesting enough if Houston had won. Like the Cavaliers make it and they play Houston, okay. That there's still a bit of enjoyment. Yeah, LeBron James makes it once again, but it, at least it would have been somebody else. Mm, yeah, yeah, but Chris Paul didn't get to the finals. <laughs> Yeah, and that that does make me happy to agree. And same thing with James Harden. It's like, yeah. And when you hear about Rockets fans complaining about the referees, oh, now they know a little bit of how we feel whenever <laughs> yeah. we play them. It's like, oh, yeah. you didn't like that call? Well, shucks darn. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't super – the only reason I wanted Houston to win that series is because I think I hate Golden State more. Or I, should, I know I hate Golden State more. It was like choosing the lesser of two evils, like voting for president. Hmm. Hmm. I, I don't know if I agree with that comparison, but I, I, know, where, <laughs> I know what you're saying. Yeah, you, you, you get the idea. <laughs> yeah. All right. But let's let's get into the Jazz. Let's not talk about boring NBA Finals and whatnot. Cause hopefully the Jazz will be there, in which case it won't be boring for us. But let's see. We've got, like I said, the draft is coming up, and that's been the main talk because you know, the Jazz, they have the 21st pick, which is it's honestly a pretty hard pick because um, it's like high enough where you can expect to get maybe some kind of a role player. But it's late enough where it can easily be a bust. I mean, you look at Tony Bradley. He was like, a, I don't know, what, a 27th pick or 28th pick? Late first round. He's not really done anything so far. And you know, there's plenty of players in that range that just don't pan out. And the theme that we've seen so far with the talk ever since the Jazz went out to Houston and lost to Houston is that they need this this third star, this third guy to come in. Uh, ideally, he'll be a second scoring option. You know, a guy side-by-side, side, a one-two punch, you know, the two punch to Mitchell's one for scoring, and that's what everyone's thinking about. Can we find that guy? You know, is he going to come in the draft? Like, it's either, the theme is either we're looking for that third star in this draft or this free agency, or we're setting up the everything to get this, third star maybe next year or somehow down the road but that's basically what everyone's thinking and Trey what let me ask you this what do you think the what would you rather see the Jazz do try and find the third star now maybe set it up for later what do you what have you what have your thoughts been about this whole thing well that's a tough one because I mean it makes sense to kind of hold out and see what happens i mean you kind of get your bargaining chips in order and then you free up some cap space you 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 know you 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 have some cheaper contracts going forward that you can potentially sign for just a little bit longer down the road but i mean with the 21 pick i mean the jazz are no strangers to kind of that middle well like late round first round or Late pick, first round. Um, but, again, and I'm not too concerned about it because, I mean, the Jazz are the mecca of player development. So, in that respect, I'm not too concerned about it. 
Um, but I don't know. I mean, because we still don't know where Derek Favors is going to go, and I think that's going to be a big tell of what the Jazz are going to try to do moving forward. Yeah, and I think that is such a huge thing. Oh, so much does hang on Derek Favors because signing or um, letting Favors go signals one of two directions. For me, signing Derek Favors is the it's the safe option. You bring back and I've heard Den- heard Dennis Lindsay talk about how he wants to try and keep this team intact, kind of as it was this season. And to me, that's kind of the safe bet. And to me, I don't necessarily like that kind of safe bet because while, yes, it will give us like kind of an inside track to have a very similar season, perhaps even better, uh, that would assume better health and development from guys like Dante Exum, Donovan Mitchell, and more building together and bonding with team chemistry that we had late last season. You know, we could mm-hmm. maybe be a 50-plus win team with Derek Favors and all that going forward, but it will end roughly the same. It would end with the Jazz losing to a team, either like the Rockets. I don't know if the Rockets are going to manage to stay intact, um, but the Warriors are going to stay intact. And you'll run into the same problems against the Warriors that we ran into against the Rockets in the playoffs. And, you know, like I said, it's a safe bet. It gives us the inside track for a 50, as high as a 55-win season. Like, that's kind of the, the ceiling of that team. And barring a crazy upset bid against one of the top teams in the West, we'd fall short either in the conference semis or in you know the conference finals, which would be great. But then letting Derek Favors go, that's the one where you say, look, we're not content with falling short, being like the Clippers have been for the last five years, where you're consistently right. good, but not good enough. And... If you let Derek Favors go, the thing is, when you let Derek Favors go, that lowers the floor. Hey, the floor of next year's team, assuming there's good health and nothing goes catastrophically wrong, the floor is like 45 wins. But the ceiling is up there towards 55 wins. You let Derek Favors go, the floor suddenly drops. And that's that's the risk, and that's why it can be such a difficult decision, where the floor drops if Derek Favors leaves, but the ceiling also rises, because then you can bring in somebody who can maybe raise that ceiling from 55 wins in a conference semifinals exit to closing in on 60 wins. This would be more down the road, but you'd be able to close in maybe on 60 wins, a conference finals appearance, maybe even NBA finals appearance. So that that's kind of my thoughts on the Derek Favors free agency, is that you know you can play the safe bet, maybe get lucky and make a run, but you're most likely going to continually fall short. But then there's the high-risk, high-reward scenario where you let him go and try and bring in somebody else. Yeah, what, what is it? Michael Jordan said the ceiling is the roof. <laughs> I, don't know, I still don't know what the hell that means. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of one of those things. Like It's almost worth gambling because, and to build off what you said, you're going to have a butt, like to, with the Clippers, I th- that was a great analogy because – the Clippers, what happened to them? It was just expiring contracts. Like little pieces had to keep leaving the team until finally you lost your star point guard and then middle of the season you lost your star power forward. Um, it still was kind of held there together by glue, but obviously ultimately they just fell apart to end the season. But yeah, I mean I, that would suck to run into that problem in, in, with the Utah Jazz. 
and and so it'll be really interesting. And we'll talk, I think, a lot more about Derek Favors' upcoming, um, and we'll get to the draft. But first, I want to talk about something that's happened in in recent weeks or really recent days. Is some chatter among Jazz fans and a little bit among the NBA that Paul George might consider Utah. Or at least the news is that Donovan Mitchell very much appears to be trying to recruit players. And one player that he has definitely revealed he has eyes on is Paul George, mainly because he tweeted out, like, hashtag National Best Friends Day and had a picture of him and Paul George hugging, I believe, at the conclusion of the um, the, the first-round playoff series. <laughs> do, yeah, do we got think... to get that push-off P over here. <laughs> Dude, uh, like, initially, like, in you can talk about how you feel in a moment, but, like, when I thought of it first, I was <clears> like, you know, maybe there's a chance – he might come, you know, we can make a good enough pitch, things like that. I might want to join a winning team. But then I happened to be watching highlights of that first round game, and I saw one of the – he got in a, in a – picked a bit of a fight with Joe Ingles, and the crowd was just chanting or practically screaming push off P, and I was like, you know, I don't think he has that bad of a memory. We treated him like crap. <laughs> and I don't think he's going to forget that anytime soon. And if he was anything like me, I wouldn't touch Utah because we were jerks to him. <laughs> it was like true. Yeah, true. Yeah. And it's like, maybe he can overcome that. It's like, maybe, you know, it's like no hard feelings. Like you better understand, like, you know, kind of all fan bases that way. I don't know how Kevin Durant was treated by Golden State fans before he went and joined them. Uh, but, you know, again, free agents don't tend to like Utah. I think there will be a lot more incentive to come to Utah as the Jazz continue to prove themselves and say, hey, look, we're one star away from championship contention, which I believe the Jazz are. Like, they're one star and maybe a year or two out of being able to be a legitimate championship contender. And all it takes maybe one star, maybe Giannis Antetokounmpo, maybe when he decides, if if he decides to leave, I don't know if he's going to want to leave Milwaukee or not, but, you know, any other star realizes, hey, Utah's a pretty decent destination. I can go win there. Then, you know, people will come. Because I think the big market thing, like the uh, stigma where stars only want to go to big markets, it's not nearly as prevalent as I think it used to be. Because you look at teams going to, like, your players want to go to Cleveland. I mean, Golden State's, I don't think it's exactly a huge market. It's certainly not, not the biggest market in California. Uh, but players were wanting to go where they can win. You know, Oklahoma City. San Antonio. Yeah, San Antonio. It's like, it's more about winning than it is about big cities. Players want to win. And so if somebody wants to win, eventually you think someone will end up in Utah. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at where Paul George came from. It came from the Pacers. Like, Indiana is not a big market, as far as I know. Um, someone can check me on that. But came from Indiana. He went to the conference finals, what, twice with Indiana? Um, yeah. And did reasonably well. But at the same time, like, yeah, he may not forget that. Um, Utah was hard on him. But it's also, like, that's the beauty of sports. Like you're on the other team and we're kind of whipping your butts and you're being a little crybaby cause you're around other crybabies. But I digress. It's, 
at the end of the day, Paul George actually would be a pretty good fit because one, he plays defense. Two, he's a scoring option almost any time down the floor, and he can stretch the floor. He's pretty good. Sh- he's pretty good at shooting the three. I mean, game one, he was unreal. Um, you're not going to get that from him all the time, but that is another really good piece, especially like. And you know what? Joe Ingles talks crap to everybody. That's just what he does. <laughs> so. Yeah, I was just thinking, like, if he did show up, like, what would that first meeting be like? It's like, hi, I'm Joe. Oh, Ingles. it would just be it would just be Ingles being like, yeah, hey, remember when I said this to you? And he'd just laugh, and then they would just have a good time. <laughs> yeah, I think Ingles has a way of either being uh, easily making enemies, but just as quickly being able to make friends. He's kind totally. of that guy. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I do agree that, that Paul George would be a good fit for a number of reasons, basically all the ones that you said. Um, well, yeah, and he wouldn't be dealing with a Russell Westbrook or a Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, he, he'd be coming to a really good organization, although Oklahoma City is not a bad organization, I think, by any means. It's just, it is basically Russell Westbrook and probably Carmelo Anthony. From what I've heard from him, like him refusing to go to the bench and things like that, I feel like this next year is going to get real interesting for Oklahoma City. Um, whether or not Paul George says, watching, keep an eye on Carmelo Anthony. What happens there? That has the potential to ruin the locker room chemistry for Oklahoma City next year. But totally. Yeah, but Paul George could get away from all that and come to Utah. Probably the best locker room in the NBA. Granted, I don't have any insider knowledge, but from everything I've seen, you know, awesome locker room. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's go ahead and move on to the draft. Let's actually get to what we were planning on getting to today. Mm-hmm. And let's, let's talk about what the Jazz might do in the draft, and you know, kind of their options, players that you could go after. Because obviously, there's the three main routes they can go with this. They can either trade up, which if they trade up, the highest they're probably going to go is like, like I don't know, the the high absolute highest I could see them going is like ten or eleven. That's, and then they'd probably be giving up something nice. Other than that, you're looking at maybe they move up to 16 or 17. Like a guy's falling, and they say like, you know, one guy I've had my eye on kind of is Kevin Knox. Like if he starts falling to 16 or 17, they think maybe if Dennis Lindsay likes him, is kind of a stretch four option. Maybe a replacement for Derek Favors. They might trade up, try and get him. You know, a guy who's projected to maybe go in the top 10 but falls a few spots out of the lottery, maybe they'll pull the trigger on trading up. Um, the other option, obviously, staying at 21, I think it's the most likely option. I don't think Lindsey's really thinking of wheeling and dealing for anybody moving up, and I don't really think he's going to do the third option, which is to move down. So I know it's obviously the safe bet to pick that a, per- a, a team will stay, but... I don't see much payoff for the Jazz trading up unless there's other players involved in in things like that. Like what are your thoughts, Trey, on possible draft day moves? Um I I mean it, yeah, there's no point in going down. Um I don't see the point in that because at least if you grab a piece during the draft whether it is a 21 pick or otherwise, I mean you still have a more decent player to kind of barter with. Um, but 
I kind of look back to Isaiah Thomas, man. Like he went last in the draft. I don't, I can't remember how many years ago. And look at him; he became a pretty prolific uh, scorer. So, but I don't know. I mean, we're definitely not doing any more deals with Denver. Like that's that's done. I think Denver's just like, hey, we've done you enough favors. Um, I don't even know where they're picking in the in the draft, but. Um, they're they're picking eleventh or fourteenth. No, I think they're picking fourteenth. Fourteenth, yeah. That they're we're not touching that pick. Denver is done doing business with us. <laughs> like, if they do another one, like I kind of feel like they deserve what's coming to them at that point. But um, I'm actually trying to look up spots right now. But yeah, I, I don't know, man. Because as far as the draft goes, I mean, I know that um, having uh, oh my hell, what's his name from Duke. Grayson Allen, that's actually not a bad fit. That would be a pretty good target for us. Whether he goes in the middle of the pack or later is yet to be seen, but I think he'd be a dang good uh, addition here. Six foot five. I mean, what is he? He's basically a two guard, but um, I, I like I like what he offers. Plus, he played at Duke for Coach K, so. <laughs> Dude's been coached very well, and that's that kind of lineage leading up to Quinn Snyder, so it would be a perfect fit in that sense. Yeah, it is interesting because I've seen two camps, and I'm kind of in, in with you. It's like I kind of like Grayson Allen. I know there's people that are like, I don't like his attitude. I don't like the fact that he trip people, and it's like I can get over that. I mean, he's might have some maturity issues with that or just dirty play issues. Um, I don't know if that makes him a bad person. But he he is prone to a dirty player three. But I do like that he could be a very a good value pick. Uh, I've seen him falling as late as to like the fortieth pick. Like one of the the mock drafts I'm looking at right now, they have him going fortieth overall. And but he could also be picked as soon as maybe twenty one, or maybe if the Jazz decide to trade down, or maybe if you know maybe it's kind of one of that kind of that Rudy Gobert situation where they, they use their picks, but then they later trade it up into the first round. Maybe they could take Grayson Allen. Because uh, I, I do think that the Jazz, we talked about this before, the Jazz need to have scoring on their bench. They don't have that right now. You know, what does Grayson Allen do? He's a good shooter and he's a good scorer. You bring that in, he can be a solid rotation player probably right away and integrate himself in. So... I do like that pick. I agree with you, but there's, there's some fans obviously who, who don't like him for fairly obvious reasons. Yeah. I mean, he's a high emotion guy. Um, I think that's his biggest downfall in that sense. I mean, when you have, when you have a lot of emotion as a player, it tends to rub people the wrong way because they notice it a lot more. Um, but yeah, I'm, I I wouldn't be mad about that pick at all. The dude's played four years in college, so one, he has the right there that shows me he has the work ethic because he stuck out the four years. Not to like disregard anybody else's like two years and done, but um, that right there tells me that he's gonna work hard for whatever it is he's going for. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing when I look at a draft pick probably the number one thing I want to see out of a draft pick is their worth it work ethic. Yeah. Cause super athletic guys, it seems like you're a dime a dozen. You can find them anywhere. Guys who can shoot, you're finding them a lot more often. You can find anybody of any, you know, throw any 
type of talent or skill into any kind of player, just mix and match, whatever, you'll see those kind of players in every draft of every variety. But I feel like the biggest thing that will affect a guy is his work ethic. Because you can have a guy, say, DeAndre Ayton, right now he's like the consensus number one pick. You know, there's chatter and stuff about other guys saying they should be number one, but we all know who the Suns are going to pick. But if DeAndre Ayton doesn't have work ethic, he's not going to go anywhere. Whereas, say, a guy like Trey Young, if he comes into the league, yeah, he doesn't have the tremendous, you know, skill set and things like that. You can even say Donovan Mitchell, where it's like they're disregarded and they're a little down the line in terms of talent and things like that. But these, if they work hard, which Donovan Mitchell, he worked hard. He took in film. He absorbed all of the coaching he took. And he's one of the best rookies and was one of the better scorers in the early rounds of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at these these guys, you think if they work hard, then they can become really good. And so when you're looking at guys that might pan out and somehow become stars late in the draft, you're going to be looking for guys who have hard work ethic. Because they'll be the ones who, you know, when you're looking at being drafted in the 20s of the first round, that means you have some sort of flaw. Um but if you have work ethic, you can maybe overcome that. You know, you become like an Isaiah Thomas or a Manu Ginobili or, you know, go down any number of players who've been drafted late first round or second round who became all-stars. Right, yeah, those diamonds in the rough. I mean, oh, man, I, his name's eluding me. But our scout, who the head scout of the Utah Jazz, he's really good at finding those diamonds in the rough. I mean, look, he found... He found Paul Millsap. He found, um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting his name right now. Um, anyways, he's found some great players, and they always fit well, and then they just do nothing but develop here. Yeah, most of them go elsewhere, but still, I mean, I'm not, I'm not too concerned about positioning. It's just a matter of will it be – one of those players that can give us an immediate boost or is it something that we have to wait and see? Because Dante Exum is one of those high picks that we got and it's just been a wait and see, not because of anything he's not doing. It's just the like, unfortunately he had the injuries all the career long, but I mean, it's it's a weird i i would hate to be a scout because at the end of the day you kind of really are just taking a gamble yeah you basically are especially this late in the draft every person who's drafted an all-star hall of famer past like number nine got lucky right right and you bring up a point where there's to me, there's, there's especially this late in the draft, you're looking at two types of NBA players or two types of draft picks, generally speaking. You're looking at the guys who are either super athletic, they have tons of potential, but they're really raw. And they have a chance to pan out. You think of guys like Rudy Gobert, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and there's there's probably some more that I can't think of right now. But they have these amazing physical attributes but don't really seem to have any of the NBA skill sets that you'd like to see. And then the other type is essentially the opposite. You have all of the NBA skill sets or most of them but not the NBA body. 
these are your, I don't know, like your Jimmer Fredettes or the six foot two combo guard out of, you know, Loyola Marymount or something like that. You know, great college players, but might not be able to make in the NBA because they don't have the height, the athleticism, things like that. You also think kind of like Trey Burke. So the question is, which which would you rather have? Like, because I'm kind of torn between which one I would want the Jazz to try and select. I'm ge- I generally lean towards the super athletic. You brought like Dante Exum as an example of this, where he's raw but has tons of potential. I really like those picks more so than you know Grayson Allen kind of fits into this category. The Dante DiVincenzo, that kid out of Villanova. Those are the guys that kind of fit into this role where they're NBA ready, but they don't have a very high ceiling. So which do you think you'd rather see the the Jazz take? Uh, I think we have enough, enough athleticism, to be honest with you, um, because... I think we still have Alec Burks. Donovan Mitchell is an athlete through and through. Um, we already have a slow uh, person in Joe Ingles. We have Rudy Gobert, who's surprisingly athletic for his size. Um, Ricky Rubio, he's you know he's not athletic, but he's just solid. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I would take someone who's multiple, honestly. I mean, because. If they're moldable and they can, you can kind of unlock their hidden potential. I feel like that's a greater value um, in the long run. Yes, that's the thing that I've always liked with with guys like you said that, that are moldable. They that have a high ceiling. And the problem is that they have a pretty low floor, but you can get that really high ceiling. I, I'm thinking of there's um, what's his name, Kata Bates Diop kid out of Ohio State, I think he's a really athletic kind of guy. Um, I think Lonnie Walker is another one who there are concerns about maybe his shooting form and things like that, but he's a fairly athletic guy. And you know, it, it is interesting because that's, that's really your best hope for finding a star in the late draft. Because you know, I've already brought up two examples in Giannis and Rudy Gobert. But, you know, for every Giannis and Rudy Gobert, you can probably name 10 guys who kind of fit that same mold of super athletic, lots of potential, but then they didn't pan out. Um, so, again, I, I think it, it does depend if the Jazz are playing, you know, we talked about getting that third star. Are they trying to get that third star one or two years down the road? Or are they trying to make their move now? Because that can change that. If you're trying to contend next year, like you want to contend next year, get to the conference finals, maybe NBA finals, whatever they're trying to do, it's like, you know, kind of their floor goal. Obviously, the ultimate goal is the championship. You want to do that every year. But it was that floor. You want to get back to the second round. You want to get to the conference finals. Maybe you grab a guy who's got that low ceiling but has a pretty high floor. They can come in right away, be a solid rookie. You know, he'll never be a Donovan Mitchell or anything like that, but can contribute. Mm-hmm. So, but if you're looking down the road, draft a guy who might take one or two years, but by the time he matures, you might have Dante Exum, Donovan Mitchell, 
Rudy Gobert will probably still be in his prime. You know, all that comes together, and suddenly you're looking really good. And there are a lot of positives and negatives to that, and so much can go into it. And that's why, again, you, you brought it up, the draft is so tricky because there's so many different factors that go into your strategy and also, like you said, just trying to find someone who will actually stay on your NBA roster for more than a year or two. Yeah, I don't know. I keep looking at this guy, Kevin Huter, if that's how you say his name, from Maryland. He's six seven. He has an incredible offensive rating um, and his advanced stats from college. Um, 119 on offensive rating. He's got a 102.9 on defense. Um, pretty damn good shooter, too. I mean, uh, 50% from the field, 42 from three. Um, shoots his free throws at a decent clip. I mean, he's only 19. Um, he's, I mean, and he's got a shot. I mean, that's, that's moldable right there. I mean, you've got a pretty good, um, if you have a good shooter, you have another option coming off the bench that can at least get you some catch and shoot shots, especially at the NBA level. I mean, any college player coming in, you're either you you're just scared to death when you first play a game, or you just embrace it. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's promising right there. This other guy from Oregon, uh, what's his name? Oh my gosh, um, Troy Brown Jr. Did you already say his name? No, I don't believe so. Okay, he's out of Oregon. Doesn't shoot the ball particularly well from deep, but good slasher. Six uh, seven, got a six ten wingspan. Dude's really good at getting into the hoop. I tell you what, I'm watching his highlights right now. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. That's yeah, it's it's tough. I don't I I don't envy the front office for having to make these decisions because man, I would not be able to come up with it. <laughs> Yeah, it is interesting because you think, like, when you're weighing this in, you look at a guy like Troy Brown where he has a lot of things where he might like, but then you say he doesn't shoot particularly well. That's something I think the Jazz really need to consider is they need to think we need to get somebody who can shoot the ball because, you know, while the Jazz weren't bad this last season, especially, again, off the bench, you know, like their best three-point shooter, you know, Jonas Drebko was the best three-point shooter off the bench, but he didn't play that many minutes. The biggest rotation guy in terms of shooting the three ball was maybe Royce O'Neal or Jay Crowder. Probably Royce O'Neal. But he didn't shoot it that, that often. Right. So you're looking at trying to get more shooting off the bench, but maybe they like Brown or maybe they like one of these other guys. You know, Lonnie Walker, you know, you brought, I already brought him up, and you know, all these other different guys. I mean, there, there's so many names that you look at on these big boards that are in – Utah's range, and they're mostly guards, which... Yeah, they are mostly guards. It's a little weird on that. Yeah, and I feel like it was that way last season. I always look for stretch fours in the draft. I was looking at the draft last year and thinking, you know, what kind of stretch fours maybe we can get. And obviously, I was happy with the end result of last year's draft. But, you know, here, again, that, that Derek Favors question looms large. It's like, if he goes, we'd like to get you know, a stretch four, and that's why I bring up Kevin Knox. He's one of the guys I really like as a stretch four prospect, but he's also like a late lottery pick. Mm. Some, I think I've seen him in the top ten. I think his stock has fallen a little bit. 
But, you know, the, there's – the Jazz could theoretically pick just about in any position. Or, well, I, I shouldn't say that. They probably won't pick a point guard. And I would think they wouldn't take a center. So you're really mm, – Yeah, yeah. You're looking at maybe – like, at best, you might think of maybe a combo guard. You, know, you look at, I think, Grayson Allen's a bit of a combo guard. Lonnie Walker's kind of the same way, if they're looking at those guys. But you'll be thinking more of these guys, the guys you just brought up, Troy Brown, these these wings that you could see playing shooting guard or small forward. Some guys maybe even power forward. And, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of prospects. One prospect I've seen brought up, um, and most people around Utah know who he is because he plays in the Mountain West, uh, you heard a little any, any chatter about Chandler Hutchison? I have not. And I know there's I know there's some people that like him. So he's a six seven kind of a wing out of Boise State. Some people see him as a potential stretch four, like a part time stretch four. I don't see that. Mostly because he uh, comes in at 195 pounds and is again he's six foot seven. He's a decent wing prospect with the only knock against him being he played four years at Boise State, which he didn't really come on until this last year. So it's a little tricky for him. But, again, there's there's some people I've heard around they like him. But, again, I think that's mostly because a lot of people around here have seen him because he went to Boise State. I know a lot of the guys I know at Utah State are very familiar with him because we play in the same conference. But that's the guy the Jazz might look into. Although, again, did we, we work him out? Um, I think we either have or we are. We'll probably work him out if we haven't already. It, it would it would make sense to me. Hmm. Put up forty four points at one of his college games, huh? Yeah, he's he's not like a bad prospect. He's a he's one of those guys that you could think maybe come in be a scorer. He's got a decent three point shot. Um, he has experience being the guy, if he needs to be. Um, sure, but I mean that's Mountain West basketball. I mean, is that re- I mean, Kawhi Leonard played Mountain West basketball. Quiet. Where did he come from? San Diego State. Oh, okay. Granted, the Mountain West was better back then, but still, it was Mountain West basketball. Hmm. So, I'm not saying Chandler Hutchinson will be Kawhi Leonard, although I think there are some similarities there, actually, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, well, he looks way skinnier than Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, he's skinny. He does have a decent wingspan, though. He's got a 7-1 wingspan, which is maybe why some people are thinking he could guard some power forwards. Hmm. But, again, there are so many options. And I guess that that is the frustrating thing is that so many people try to predict who are these teams going to take. Because once you get out of, like, the top three or four, it's hard to find any consensus on who a team might take. You know, we're pretty sure the Suns are going to take DeAndre Ayton number one. We don't really know who's going to get taken number two, three, four, five. It could be any one of, like, six or seven players. And then obviously once you get down to where the Jazz are, it's a crapshoot. You don't know who's going to be available, who the Jazz think is good, 
if the Jazz are even going to stay there. So, I th- it is going to be so interesting because, again, like we said, Jazz draft strategy is going to depend on what they think is going to happen with Derek Favors and the type of prospect they select, be it an athletic high-ceiling guy or a, you know, a high-floor kind of guy. They can come in and contribute right away. It'll depend on what they're trying to do this next year. But I think, in the end, there are enough decent and solid prospects. I think this is a fairly deep draft. I think there are enough good prospects that the Jazz are going to be in a good position to get somebody who is at least decent. And there's always going to be bust potential, but I think they're going to get somebody who's at least decent. And, you know, there's always a shot that you find the golden goose in the the back end of the first round. So. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the same position for us last year, and, I mean, we got Donovan Mitchell. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I hate the draft. i got to be honest. There's just too much to do think about there's too many freaking players to look at i mean you work out so many players i do not want that job if i ever am offered that job i will turn it down yeah there, <laughs> there certainly is a lot of pressure to it vehemently disagree sir no no i'll just watch <laughs> from the stands please yeah <laughs> but, well it, it is it is kind of frustrating i guess for fans because i guess with the scouts you at least know what's going on for your team, it's kind of almost as, as frustrating for fans because you have no idea who your team is going to draft. You know, it, you can get some idea with free agency because, like, the free agent will come and you'll be like, oh, yeah, they're looking at this guy. But you have no clue with – I mean, the Jazz are working yeah. out everyone from, like, who could get picked from, like, 15th to, you know, 60th or whatever. Right. So. I mean, yeah, we don't know. And then, of course, I mean, when we drafted Gordon Hayward, everyone was pissed off. <laughs> Just what you, I mean, there's like intangibles you need to look at. There's habits. There's shot mechanics. There's how do they read defense? How do they read an offense? How do they move off ball? How do they move with the ball? There's so many different things involved with it that I just, like, in my, like, to, to be fair, I do, I do analyze plays like that when the game is happening i'm always very critical of what's happening on the court but i would never be able to look at a college player or a draft prospect and be like you know what that guy's pretty good i see that in him i don't know i i, I would hate that job yeah because it is so hard because you can only tell so much from college film even if you're going there live and you see it live it's like okay you know, you can see that potential, but guys don't always realize that potential, and that's the frustrating thing. Right, right? yeah. You have no idea how they're going to be when they get to the NBA level. And, and you brought up all those things, their habits, work ethic, you know, all those things you mentioned, how they play the game. So much, so many variables with with these guys that, Again, yeah, it is basically a crapshoot. Even when you're drafting a guy number one, like drafting number one is honestly one of the worst positions you can be in, at least in terms of a pressure standpoint. Obviously, everyone loves to pick number one. Yeah. Because you get the great player, but like you draft number one and that guy doesn't turn out, 
then you're labeled as a sucky scouting team for basically forever. Right. Who was number one draft pick last year? Was it Malik Monk or was it um, what's his name that played for Philly and then only showed up for like Markel the postseason? Fultz. Markel Fultz. Okay. Malik Monk went like ninth or something like that. Oh, uh, okay. Because yeah, I mean, like Markel Fultz, he was gone for the entire year. Yes, he was injured, but even like the videos they showed of his shot, it was just like, how like, even uh, oh my gosh, what's his name? Uh, played for Dallas for their championship year. Um, the most awkward looking shot you've ever seen in your life. Sean Marion. His nickname was the Matrix. Was it Sean Marion? No, not Sean Marion. Oh no man, how do I forget his name? <laughs> I, anyways, like he had the most broken shot, but even he could, sh- you know, make some shots. But Malik Monk, it was just like, what is? Or not Malik. Uh, Markel Fultz, but yeah, I mean, you never know what you're gonna get. Yeah, for sure. When you get picked, when you get picked to number one overall, you have to prove yourself. You have to be good. Yeah. So again, we'll see how the Jazz do. They've, I think they've got a couple of weeks. I forget exactly what day the draft is on. I think it's like the 24th. No, oh my God! It right. was Sean Marion. Shut up. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> He's the only one I know that was on Dallas that had a really weird shot. He also had that really weird fadeaway. Oh, he, shot, he, shot it from, he shot it from, like, below his chin. Yeah, it was from his chest. It was just, like, a push shot. Like, total sidearm, no arc to it ever. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah, so, again, we... Uh, That'll probably wrap it up for us today. Obviously, we're we're getting to rambling at this point. <laughs> but, yeah, so June 21st, that's the day of the draft. That makes more sense. Yeah, it's, it's on Thursday. Thursday. In New York. And I won't be there. <laughs> I'll actually be closer than I am now. I'll be in Wisconsin. But Ooh, you'll be eating some cheese. Maybe, I don't know. We're visiting my brother, so... I think that's what they do there. It's all they do there. They eat cheese and bundle up during the winter. That's, <laughs> that's about all we know about there. And there's some football players there. Some Badgers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're probably not there right now. They're enjoying the warm weather somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, well... So, next time we do this, it'll probably be... close to a week after the draft. It, it'll be that week after because that you know, I'm going on vacation, so I won't get back until late June. But we'll be doing a podcast just before free agency. We'll talk a lot more like we brought up the Derek Favors, you know, the Derek Favors problem, the Derek Favors question, whatever you want to call that. Um, maybe there will be more rumors to Paul George or maybe it will get shut down by then. Um, maybe LeBron James will think about Utah. Probably not. Mm. No. No. <laughs> I, I wouldn't no. mind him on this team. Like, really? Look, he's the best player in the world. <laughs> yeah, but okay. Let me put let me put this into a little bit of context for you, real quick, just to just to remind you of what it is to be on a LeBron James team. When I watched 
was it game three? Yeah, it was game three of the finals. They put Rodney Hood in the game. Rodney Hood was killing it. I want to give my props to Rodney. I was very proud of him. I was very proud of him. He was doing awesome. And then the last four and a half minutes of that game, LeBron takes it into his hands for the majority of what was left of the game. And not only was he passive, but he was making terrible passing decisions. He was taking terrible hero basketball shots. And he totally neglected the fact that not only was Rodney Hood doing well, but so was Tristan Thompson. And he just forgot that they were doing well, and lo and behold, they ended up losing that game. So I don't know if I really trust LeBron's decision-making, especially if he's going to come into a team that has a lot of uh, chemistry and camaraderie. He's just going to blow it up. I mean, yes, he is the best player in the world. There's no doubt about that. We all know this. But I feel like if he were to come to Utah, it would just destroy a lot of things. Yeah, and I can't argue that that is a legitimate concern because you'd be getting LeBron on a one, a one-year, I guess. It's almost like a rent-to-own. Like you have to prove yourself. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, it's like a continual one-year lease kind of thing. <laughs> and so that is a concern. Like he comes in, maybe he destroys and decides to leave, and we fall short, and maybe the the finals, they're the conference finals to the Warriors. That is a concern. Although I mean, I say he's the best player. He's the only reason the Cavs were in the the finals to begin with. So the, there is that. I mean, you can't deny that the Jazz would be in the conference finals, possibly in the finals with LeBron on the team. Yeah. But the the long term ramifications of that are definitely a question for debate. But we don't have to worry about that debate because LeBron's not coming. So. Yeah. It, we can we can talk about it in fantasy land. But anyway, that'll that'll wrap it up for us this time. We will talk to you in probably about two weeks or so, two and a half weeks maybe. But thank you so much for listening, and hopefully you're satisfied with what the Jazz do in the draft. I hope I am too. But anyway, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.